We are in a series called Breaking Down Walls, and we are in the last message of that series. And if you're new, let me kind of fill you in on uh, where this came from. It, I, w- I was, I was burdened uh, badly about the, our country. Uh, I still am. Uh, it's still heaviness of burden doesn't go away, and uh, and you know we're so divided as a nation. We're so uh, divided in so many ways, and we build these walls up between people, and and they're not walls you can see. You wish you could; it'd be easier to knock down. But these unseen walls that exist between uh, factions and groups, and political parties, and religious entities, and even churches—you know—it just burdens my heart. And I and I just really got to praying about that. God, how can we break down these walls? And uh, you know, just because you talk about it and, and this kind of thing doesn't mean it's going to go away. But we took a week to pray and fast through uh, many of these different issues. And last week we, uh, we talked about the grace of a scandal, the scandalous grace of a forgiving father as he welcomed his wayward son home. And many people call that the story of the forgiving father or the lost son or the prodigal son. And many of you uh, could identify. And, and if you'll remember that uh, the ones who were listening to Jesus speak were, uh, the, the scripture says there was the tax gatherers and the uh, sinners, okay? The outcast on this side. And then over here you had the scribes and the Pharisees, the good guys, the religious of the religious. And they're all listening to Jesus talk. And so Jesus talks about this wayward son who uh, the father, in his scandalous grace, welcomes him back. He sees him. He has compassion for him. He runs to him. He embraces him. He kisses him, welcomes, kill the fatted calf, get the ring, the shoes on his feet. And uh, the, the tax gatherers and the sinners are thinking, yes, God loves me despite me and, and this kind of thing. And I'm sure the scribes and the Pharisees are saying, time out. These guys don't earn anything. All they've done is just been scoundrels, and you're going to welcome them in. And and so uh, there's a part two to this story, and we're going to go there in Luke chapter 15 in just a moment. And uh, but let me kind of give you uh, a thought as we as we work into this. Uh, there was a, a TV show many years ago by the name of MASH, and uh, I, I watched MASH at different times, uh, thought Hawkeye Pierce, he, he was a, a rascal, but he uh, seemed to come up with some great lines and some great uh, thoughts at times, and there was, you know, sometimes a TV show can say something that uh, you just hit you, and I, I love quotes, and I write down quotes, and so there was one that that was on a MASH episode, and what was happening in this episode, for you that don't know about MASH, it was around a MASH unit in, in uh, Korea during the Korean conflict, and uh, they they were a medical unit, and uh, there were doctors, there were, you know, the nurses, the whole thing. But uh, Hawkeye was a doctor, and Winchester was a roommate doctor, Hawkeye was borderline out there, just out there off the wall. Winchester, straight-laced, very proper, this kind of thing. Well, Hawkeye's dad had become ill, and Hawkeye is in Korea, and his dad's all the way back in the United States. 
And Hawkeye gets word of this, and and this is what he he uh, he says. He says, "Dad and I are too close to let this all suddenly end with silence, twelve thousand miles apart." And Winchester responds by saying, "This Pierce, you should be grateful that only distance is separating you. My father and I have been twelve thousand miles apart in the same room." You know, just because you're physically close doesn't mean you're close. There can be these walls, these invisible walls that come up and you keep living, you keep existing. And today we're going to talk about one who that was the very situation. They were in close physical proximity, but there was 12,000 miles between them. And there was a self-righteousness that had come in to this older brother, and it was destructive. And and self-righteousness can come into us. And when self-righteousness comes in, we build a wall between ourselves and other people, and we uh, we... We start comparing ourselves to the world, and then we create our own moral authority. We call it moral deism, and we believe if our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, then God is obligated to take us in whether we really have a closeness with him or not. And uh, I want us to talk about this a little bit, and we're in Luke 15, verse 25. And let me read, and then we're going to come back and just... Unpack this for us today. Luke 15 verse 25 and following says this. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Remember the son, the younger son has come home. Father's brought him in. They they hear music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. The word safe and sound actually refers to he's full and whole. He has received him back fully. It wasn't like he's partially receiving him back. He's not like he's receiving him back if he'll now turn over a leaf, new leaf. He has received him back fully uh, at this point. Verse 28. But he, the brother, older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, the father responded, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost. And he is found. It is fitting. It means we had to celebrate this because of what has happened. Now, before I talk about the negative traits of the older brother, I want to talk about his positive traits just a minute. Because we we really are hard on him. And most of us in this room have have drifted into that old older brother scenario way too often. So here's some positive traits. Number one, he was a hard worker out in the field. 
He was a hard worker. And, and he, he was out there even when everybody else seemed to be at the house. He was still out there in the field and he was a hard worker. Second of all, he had friends. He said that, uh, you never even gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. So he had relationships. Remember the younger son, when he got into what he did, everybody left him. And so the older son had friendships. Thirdly, he was virtuous. Uh, he had not been a disgrace to his family. The younger son had run their family name down. He had done uh, treacherous, immoral stuff. But the older son, he hadn't been the disgrace. He had been the good kid, right? And then one more thought about the good traits of the older son. He was in charge. You see, the way the inheritance worked for the family, two sons, the older son would get two-thirds and take over the business. The uh, younger son would get one-third. The, one, the younger son spent all his stuff. So the, the older son was completely in charge. He would still answer to his father as long as his father was alive, but he was the one in charge. See, he was the good guy. Uh, many of you have had... That brother or sister that uh, uh, wandered, so to speak, they went the way of the world, and you stayed home and were the good kid, right? You were the good one. I know some of you were the prodigals. Uh, I wouldn't have been allowed to play with you, I know, when I was younger. But for us good kids... You know, we, we look at, uh, we look at that and think, man, you know, that's not fair. You brought, you brought them back in and you just gave them full reign. And so the, despite all the positive traits of the older son, he had one major flaw and that was this. He was working in his father's field, but he really didn't know the heart of his father. Let me read that again. He was working in his father's field, but he really didn't know the heart of the father. Now, what does the field represent? Jesus tells this story, and he talks about the field. Well, I think the field represents the kingdom of God. It it, it reveals the father's work out there. Uh, in modern terms, it would be good deeds, the church, moral stuff, Bible stuff. These kind of things. In other words, I'm doing the right stuff here, right? I'm working in God's field. I am doing all this work for God. Now, all of a sudden, the scribes and Pharisees know that Jesus is talking about them. They thought they had dodged the bullet with a younger son, even though they didn't agree with that kind of grace. Now he brings them into the story. And they were the ones out working in the field. Because God had revealed himself to the Jewish nation. Uh, if anyone should be intimately acquainted with the Father, it should be the scribes and religious leaders. But here he is coming against them all of a sudden. And so they are at work in the field. Many of you are at work in the field today, but you don't know the heart of your father. And you're tired. And we'll talk about this a little bit more, but we're not so far from the scribes and Pharisees sometimes. In fact, I'll be honest enough to say to you 
that the attitude of the older son is the attitude that many of the church in the West have come that turns people off to Jesus. And we have to look at these walls that we have put up. Now, the, the, you look at the brother. He was serving at a grim obligation. I'm obligated to work out here in the field. He sees the work as the goal instead of the relationship with the father as the goal. He looks down on those who are not like him. Right? He looks down on, on those that are not like him. If, if the world were like me, it would be a better place. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you three application points that they'll be on the screen that you can jot them down. But these are possibilities. Number one is this. It is possible to work in the father's field, but be a stranger to his house. And when I refer to the house, I'm talking about where the celebration is happening, where the father is, where the joy is, where everything is good because of the intimacy with the father. But it's possible to work in his field and be a stranger to his house. The house means fellowship with the father. It's celebration that is there. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel yourself still trying to earn the father's favor? By the works you do. God, I'm not worthy to go in your house. I'm not worthy to do this. Or uh, I'm trying to do this to earn God's favor. And, and here's another question. Are you struggling to find the joy of the Lord today? Now, I know somebody's going to say, Mark, in the midst of this virus and in the midst of all that's going on, I'm not sure anybody's really experiencing the joy of the Lord. No, what I'm referring to is, are you so tired of doing religious stuff that you feel like you need to do and must do that you're missing the joy of just being in the Father's presence? See, that's where Jesus is going with the story of the older brother. And, and hear this. If you are working in the field without spending time in the house with the Father, you will burn out and be bitter. There are many people that have just flat burned out. They've been doing all these things for God instead of spending time with God so that he can do it through them. See, there's a huge difference. And when we're doing things for God and, and we just at, under obligation, oh, I feel guilty. I need to do this. I need to do this for God. I, I just love God so much. I need to do this. for. That's not our attitude. Way too much. And so we need to understand that if we're doing it at an obligation, spending all the time in the field and no time in the house with the Father, then we're going to become bitter or burned out. It's going to happen. Here's the second thought. It is possible to be resentful and critical of the Father. It is possible to be resentful and critical of the Father. And and here's something I love about this story. Now, you remember last week I told you that when the son came, son left and he was going to go spend all the father's money on wild living, the wrong kind of things, the father did not run him down. Now, he ran after him after the son came back, but he did not run his son down to plead with him to come back. But notice what the father did with the older brother. 
He went out and entreated him. He pleaded with him to come in. I love this because, you know, the scribes and Pharisees, they they were at the uh, uh, beckoning of Jesus just uh, talking down to him. I mean, Jesus was seemed to be angry with the scribes and Pharisees. However, isn't it amazing that he loved them so much as part of this story to go and plead with them to come into the Father's house? You're so close. You're working in the field. You know all the answers, but you're missing me. And so he went out and he pleaded with with the older son to come in. It shows the compassion that Jesus actually had for the religious leaders. And isn't it interesting when we read this story that uh, the older son didn't even acknowledge his brother? Notice what he said. He said, this son of yours. Now that's ticked off right there. This son of yours, I'm not even claiming him as a brother. This son of yours went and did this, and and this is what you're doing. So he was even critical of the father. This son of yours. And he was critical unto the father. Here's a thought question for you. Are you holding a critical spirit towards your heavenly father today? Are you blaming him that things have not turned out the way you thought they should turn out? Maybe it was a, a, a son or daughter that went wayward. Maybe it was a health issue that you're thinking, I didn't deserve this. Or a marriage that didn't work out or, or something that just did not work. And you're thinking, God, look at all I've done for you. Man, I've come to church, I have taught, I have done all these good deeds. God, see, in other words, we think God owes us because we did particular things. And we become critical of the Father because we feel like He has let us down. And do you feel like He owes you something because you're the good son? You're the good one. You know, I I, I would have a tendency... More towards the sin of the older brother. I, I would have a tendency to say, gosh, Lord, look at all I've done for you. I can't believe some of the junk we've had to walk through. Because, But you know, the Lord has showed me, Mark, you're going to go through junk on this earth. But listen, it's knowing me. It's spending time with me. Here's a third thought. It is possible to be self-righteous and never know it. Self-righteous. Look at me. Everybody look at me. I, I got, I'm the standard of the world. And it becomes a blind spot in you. I've seen this in many, uh, people who claim Jesus. They, they just become, they, they become self-righteous. If you were only like me, if you had what I had, then you would be up there. You would have it together. And, and it usually happens gradually. And you don't see it coming and you gradually get this self-righteous spirit. And then what happens is, is the perfect storm brings it out, right? The older brother, he didn't know. I don't think he, he would have never said he was self-righteous. But the younger son comes back and you give him scandalous grace and welcome him right back into the family. Bang! That's it. I'm exploding right now. I'm going to pout. I'm going to be angry with you, Father. I'm going to be critical of you. And sometimes we are that way. 
We don't even realize it's there until we start getting squeezed. And notice what the older son said. He said, I serve. In other words, look at me. Secondly, he said, I never disobeyed. I mean, he's justified himself. He he said, I got no goat. You didn't give me a goat. I mean, you deserve to give me something. Look at how good I am. And he blasts his dad and the younger brother. He has no compassion at all. He ignores the love and mercy and grace extended by the father. And, and he just went off. And it was a blind spot. Here's a question for you. Do you find yourself today with an attitude that says the world would be perfect if everyone was like you? Man, if everybody was like me, this would be a good place. You know, that's just a self-righteous attitude. I had a friend uh, when we first started Northeast Church uh, back in 1990. And... Uh, he was part of the core team, good friend, and, and they told me something back in those days that I thought, no way, you know, they, they said, when you plan a church and the core team is together, everybody will be together uh, forever. That's what I thought, but they said, eventually all your core team will leave and it will hurt you badly. And sure enough, it, ha- it happens and it hurts badly. But we began to grow and began to reach people. And uh, my friend set aside a time to, to speak with me, and he said this. He said, Mark, he said, I see what God is doing. He said, but I feel like I'm outside watching it through a window. And that made complete sense to me. It wasn't that he was not recognizing that who God is. He just was not experiencing the life of it. And... So often we are that way. You know, God moves. God, God does a great work in somebody's heart and they, they overcome an addiction or they, they, their marriage gets reconciled or all of a sudden they become uh, a life of purity whereas it was immoral before. And we look at that and we become jealous instead of rejoicing and we become envious instead of rejoicing in what God has done because we have a self-righteous Spirit. So here's the bottom line. You ready for this? The older son needed the house and closeness with the father as much as the younger son. You know, we think of the one that has wandered and become worldly and carnal. And and that one, man, he needs the Lord. If he would just get his heart right with the Lord, think of the difference he could make. I wonder if Jesus stood in this room today and he looked at us. Would he say, you bunch of older brothers, if you could just get to the Father's house, you would be different. In fact, here's where we get confused sometimes. In John fourteen six, Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say anyone gets to heaven except through me. He didn't say anyone gets a good life except through me. The whole goal was to get to the Father because that's what we were created for. We were created for a relationship with our Father. 
And what happened with sin is it broke that relationship. And Jesus came to call not only the wayward, but the older brothers to come to the house. Come to the house. And today, he is pleading with you and me, come to the house. Come and experience the intimacy and the freshness with me. You know, every time I I pray about our services, I always pray. I wrestle through the night. I always pray that God would do something just raucous, man. I mean, split the heavens and come down. And I always pray that. And uh, we see glimpses sometimes. I, You know, I, I just keep crying out for that. And I appreciated the week of prayer as we cried out for that. But here's two, just two closing thoughts. Number one is this. It's time today for some of you to come out of the Father's field and come into the Father's house. You need that closeness with the Father. It doesn't mean you won't go back and work in the field. Yes, we got to work in the field. We were created for good works. But yet, if we're doing those good works without intimacy with the Father, it's just good works. And he's wanting that closeness. So it's time today for some of you, some of us, to come out of the Father's field and come into the Father's house. And then the second thought is this. The Father is today coming and pleading with each of you. He's pleading. That's what I love about the love of the Father and scandalous grace. You know, because I, I think I was a decent father and, and still a father, decent grandfather. But, you know, sometimes I would, you need to get in the corner. You need to go to your room. You need to go. And that's okay. That's part of discipline and parenting. But to see the love of the Heavenly Father that He's coming and pleading with us, come into the house. Come close to me. I end with this. Um, you know, we're, we've gotten used to masks, right? Um, we've got all different kinds. Uh, I, I have a tendency still to forget mine at times. And uh, Pam got me one of those special ones that don't fog your glasses up, but it still fogs your glasses up. And and uh, just so happens, we've got masks. I've got three of these in my seat in my car, so I won't forget them. And uh, we, we have these masks. But you put those masks on, they'll probably become part of our clothing till Jesus comes back at now, I guess. But you go to Costco or HEB or, or Walmart or somewhere, and you put your mask on because you've got to put it on. And there's a couple of things that happen. One, you put that mask on. You don't recognize people, right? You're looking at their eyes, and we don't look at eyes very often. And so you don't, man, I think I know that person. Pam, is that so-and-so or, or whatever? And we just don't recognize them. But number two is we put that mask on and we ignore people. We put those masks on, and it's like an invisible wall may as well exist, and we don't even speak to people. We just walk around them. We, they're there, but there's an invisible wall that we've put up. And who'd have ever thought that paper-thin cloth would create such a distance between people? And I think about that, and I think about these invisible walls that we've put up between us and the Father. And I believe today the Father is saying, take your mask off. 
Wear your physical mask in H-E-B and when you walk out of church, but take off the mask that is separating you and me. And for some of you, it means come to the house. And I know sometimes the question is, how do I do that? How, how do I begin to take that step, Mark? No, number one, always, is realization. It's realization that, you know, I've got a spirit of the older brother. If they, I think if the American church would repent of this older brother spirit that we seem to have developed, it would make a revival in our nation. Because we would start to love people and see people as Jesus sees them. Instead of how we think they should be. But it begins with realization. It begins with saying, Father, I want to come home. I want to come home. I want you to bow with me, if you would. And uh, I want to just ask the worship team to come. And I, I want to just pray over you. And so with your head bowed, your eyes closed, just a moment. I want to ask you, just to your heart, have you become critical and bitter towards your Heavenly Father? You're blaming Him for something, blaming Him for somebody dying, blaming Him for uh, a relationship that went bad, blaming Him for health issues, blaming Him for financial issues, thinking that you deserve more than you deserve, even though we all live in a fallen world. He's given you eternal life, but yet that's not enough. And you're, you're actually critical towards him. Listen, he loves you. He is pleading with you that despite the circumstances, you can still have intimacy with the Father. And, and let me ask you something else. Or some of you have been grimly working out in the field doing stuff for God and you're tired and you've become bitter and burnt out instead of coming to the Father and letting Him do things through you. It's 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 totally different. And today, you got to confess that and come back to the Father. Lord, we humbly, humbly bow before You. Lord, every breath is a gift from you. And Lord, today, God, I pray for each person in this room and each person watching on TV that they sense a pleading of your Holy Spirit to come to the house. So, Lord, speak to us now. God, let us not even move until we've responded with you. I'm going to ask you to reverently stand. And then if you feel the need to sit back down, feel free to do so. If you want to come pray at these steps. In your house right now, wherever you are, maybe you want to get on your knees before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to come home. I want to come home. So, Lord, speak to us now. King, you're the only king 
We worship you now. In Jesus' name.